Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, today, as uh, Ruth just read, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Um, <clears throat> I went to a, a Christian private university for college called Palm Beach Atlantic University, and one of the things that they offer there is every year you have the opportunity to go on a, on a missions trip during the summer to uh, go serve a church um, in another part of the world. After my freshman year, we went to uh, a church in Mexico in a city called La Presa, which is uh, right outside of Mexico City. So the mountains that kind of surround Mexico City, that's where La Presa was. Um, and at the time, it's, it had been the, uh, I guess, the, the, the poorest city that I'd ever been to. Um, there was a lot of poverty and a lot of suffering, um, a lot of corruption as well. I mean, they had, they had police, but uh, if you're going to call the police, you, you had to make sure uh, you had more money in your hands than uh, the person who was robbing you, because um, you had to bribe them. Um, it made me really appreciate the fact that our police here, you just call them and they do their jobs. Uh, and I take that for granted when I was over there. Um, and me and my friend, uh, we were from the college and we were, we're both big guys. We're, you know, about six, four and we're probably twice the size of almost everyone there. We stood out, uh, in La Presa and we, we had a host home and they graciously, um, allowed us to stay there. They gave us probably their biggest room and biggest bed, um, which me and my friend had to share maybe a full-size bed. We were both sleeping like this next to each other. It worked. Um, and I remember one night, uh, there, there was a, we were walking home. It was nighttime. And obviously, we stand out. We're obviously not from there. And uh, there was a guy following us home. Small guy, but still, he was, he was really fo- he was following us home. And we didn't want to lead him back to our host home because we didn't want... He was obviously... Uh, looking to see what we had. Um, so we ended up bringing him to our pastor's home. <laughs> and our pastor talked with him and, and, and dealt with him. Um, so there's, there's a, a lot going on in that city, a lot of poverty, a lot of suffering, a lot of corruption. Um, but there was one thing that was very different that stood out in the city, besides uh, how tall me and my friend were, was, uh, it, it was the church. They were, they were a light in that city. They were a, a place of joy, a place where they were happy to come together and learn God's word and sing and serve the community. They were, they were going to uh, 
the poorest parts of the community and serving the people um, all over. Uh, they're really a light and a difference in that city. And today in our passage, Paul is going to uh, exhort the Ephesian church to be a light and a difference in a similar way, to, to, to live differently than the culture that is surrounding them. And so before we go into our passage, as always, we'll look at the context of our passage. Um, of course, uh, we just finished verses uh, 1 through 16 last time. Uh, we're in the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first half of the letter spelled out the doctrinal truths of uh, those who have been redeemed by God. In those three chapters, Paul thoroughly lays out the foundation for believers who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing because they have been purchased through Christ. And with that foundation established, Paul begins chapter 4 with a call for believers to live out that new life Christ has given to us. Paul calls for believers in Ephesus to walk worthy of the gospel. And the order of things is, is very important. We, we live out the Christian life because of and by the blessings we have been given as the redeemed of the Lord. Um, we don't do it by our own effort. So, so Paul called us to walk worthy of Christ. And the first 16 verses of the chapter have been an exhortation to walk worthily by living out the unity in Christ that had been purchased for all believers. Okay, Paul had ended that discourse in unity with our last passage. All right, he, 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 uh, he hammered down the church's need for unity. Um, really, uh, bef- before chapter 4 as well, but especially through chapter 4. But in, uh, in, in the first 16 verses, he, he talks about uh, unity where he, he talks about the gifts that Christ has given to us. He has given us each a diversity of spiritual gifts that complement one another and are adequate and sufficient for the building up of the church for God's grand plan for his creation. And now since Paul has, has, like I said, hammered down the church's need to stay unified, Paul calls the believers to a life of holiness. And what I mean by holiness is Paul is calling the Ephesians to live a life that is um, separate and different from the world surrounding them. Now, when I say separate, I don't mean that they're not engaging in the culture around them. I, I mean primarily that they're, they're living differently than the city and the culture that is surrounding them. So not only must Christians be unified with Christ as the head, but they must live a certain way also. And that's going to be a challenge because the Christian life is going to be different than everything that they grew up with and everything that surrounds them. And so we'll get into our passage today, first looking at the the past nature of believers, verses 17 and 18. Verses 17 through 19, we'll look at verses 17 through 18 first. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. And what Paul is saying here is first, he's reminding the Ephesians that he's saying uh, what he's saying, uh, with the authority of the Lord. He, he begins this section this way because he's about to tell the church how they should live and how they should not live. And it's very important, but I also think he does this because people generally don't like being told how to live and how not to live. And he's reminding them of the authority with which he is speaking. 
uh, the Christian life, it's, it's not just a set of beliefs, but it's a set of beliefs, it's doctrines that effectually guide our everyday actions. It's not just something that, that uh, we acknowledge um, in, our, in our minds, but it's something that affects our lives as well. It affects the way in which we live. All right, there's a way that we should live as Christians. So the first verse here connects us back to, uh, sorry, this, these verses connect us back to verse one, where Paul urged the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. If you're a Christian, then you're called to live a certain way. So he's continuing that exhortation of how to live with a negative example. First of all, you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do. Many of the Ephesians would have been Gentiles. Okay, we've established that the church was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. We went through that. Um, many of the Ephesians would have been Gentiles, men and women, who, who worshipped the gods and goddesses um, coming from pagan religions. So he's telling them you must no longer live as you used to live, meaning you must no longer live as your culture and your former gods have commanded you and taught you to live. The most prominent structure in the city of Ephesus would have been the Temple of Artemis. Uh, The Temple of Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, It would have been an enormous structure in the backdrop of the city, a constant reminder and temptation to the people who had once worshipped at that temple. Paul is telling the Ephesians that they, they can't go back to living like the majority of the city that would go there and worship there. Because they're, they're now the redeemed of the Lord. They must live accordingly. They must live differently. And why shouldn't they live that way? Because, they, because the, um, those outside of Christ, and he's speaking also to the current believers, he's telling them of what they were before Christ, they, they walk in the futility of their minds. Now, this word for futility is, is the word used in the, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, um, and it means vanity or purple, purposelessness. Um, it's found the most in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? If you've read that book, you know what word I'm talking about. In Ecclesiastes, the word is used to describe that, uh, the, the author's vain quest of finding purpose in life apart from God. And I think that's Paul, what Paul is describing here. He's telling the Ephesians that they once too, before the grace of God intervened in their lives, rejected the true God and in futility tried to live out their lives apart from him and his word. Those who are darkened in their understanding have not yet been illuminated by the Holy Spirit about the truth of Jesus, about the truth of the gospel. Okay, and so Paul is not saying here, he's not saying anything about the intellectual capacity of the unbeliever. He's saying they don't see things from the perspective of God, from the perspective of his, his word and of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. They don't live according to it because they don't believe it is true. So this is a general description of the Ephesians, of you and I, um, before Christ and, and those outside of Christ. But Paul continues. He says, and they were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, Paul's saying that those outside of Christ must have uh, those outside of Christ have chosen to reject the gospel, which is what he means by the hardness of their hearts. They are they are ignorant, meaning they are spiritually ignorant. Again, it's not a statement about a person's intellectual capacity, it's a statement regarding that the fact that they have chosen to reject the knowledge of God because it's foolishness to them. And therefore they are alienated from the life of God 
And Paul mentioned earlier on in chapter 2 about our status before Christ. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So they are dead in their sins, just as we were. And if we are dead in our sins, we are separated from the life of God. All right, and so we, speaking of the, the status of those outside of Christ. So this is, this is uh, the nature and status of those outside of Christ. And Paul continues next as to how this nature, uh, how, they, how they live according to this nature. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. All right, uh, callous is an interesting choice of words here. When I hear the word callous, I always think of uh, uh, learning the guitar. All right, when I was... 18, I had this urge to learn the guitar. Um, and one of the hardest parts of learning the guitar is getting used to your fingers on the metal strings. Um, it hurts. I don't know. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of people here that play the guitar and help out and are, maybe have gone through it. But when you're first learning the guitar, it, it hurts to press down uh, and do the chords. And a, a big part of learning how to play the guitar is just enduring that. And getting through the first few weeks, I don't remember how long it took, because after, after a few weeks of really trying to play the guitar, your fingers develop calluses, right? They get, the skin gets kind of uh, hard uh, and thick. And, that, and the result is you, you can't feel the harshness of the metal strings on your fingers anymore. You can go up and down the strings, up and down the frets. Um, so you, you become insensitive to it. And so someone who has become callous towards God has become insensitive or apathetic towards the things of God. Excuse me. They don't care about God's commands, and so they don't live according to his standards, right? Why would they? They only live according to their own standards. And apparently the Ephesians who did not believe, their standards led them to live in this way in verse 19, giving themselves up to sensuality and, to, and eager to practice impurity, meaning the desire to sin uh, only increases. Now, sensualities and impurities, uh, sensualities here is a, refer that, is a word that refers to uh, unrestrained indecent conduct. Kind of, you do whatever you want, you don't care about how it affects other people, whether or not it's private or public. Uh, can refer, it can refer to deviant sexual behavior, but also drunken acts, crude public acts that are intended to be offensive, unrestrained violent behavior just for the fun of it. Um, and impurity can refer to many things as also not just sexual impurities. Um, so this is, this is apparently characteristic of the Ephesian Gentiles who, who did not believe the gospel. This would have characterized any of the Ephesians in the church before they came to know Christ. Now, of course, Paul's not saying that every individual unbeliever is specifically like this. This is a general statement of uh, of the, the status of unbelievers. Um, so Paul's point is that what we believe in affects how we live. And the Ephesians who, who don't believe in Christ don't live according to the moralities of Christ or don't have the, um, the interest in doing that necessarily. They live according to their own moralities and their own standards. And that's how, how those in the church in Ephesus used to live, but they're not to live that way anymore. So Paul continues to establish the present status of believers next 
in verses 20 to 24. We'll look at first at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. It's an emphatic, important statement. He's saying their minds, their minds are they're no longer darkened. Their lives are no longer alienated from God. Their hearts are no longer hearted and impure. They are no longer ignorant to the things of God. They know Christ. So their minds have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit about the truth of who they are and who he is. So with this new status, they need to live accordingly. Now, the main point is that Christ is different. That knowing Jesus does not lead you to live your life like they used to live. Knowing Jesus should lead us to a different kind of living and a different kind of life. He continues in verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, assuming that you have heard about Jesus is just a way for Paul to say, I know you've heard about Jesus, um, about the gospel. I know you have learned about him. As you as you read and study Paul, you kind of get used to the way he says things and talks. And this is one of those statements that he kind of repeats more than once. Um, so they, they've learned the truth because, they've, because the truth is in Jesus. Paul is saying that Jesus is, this, is the embodiment of the truth. Everything that Jesus says is the truth about him, himself, and about us. And everything that Jesus does is the truth about how each of us should live. Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of the truth. And the Ephesians have been taught about Jesus, so they have been taught the truth about how things are and about how they should live. And the truth of Jesus is in contrast to the deceitful desires of our old self, as Paul mentions in here in verse 22. Um, when we have believed the truth about Jesus, that is when we put off our old self. So the, so the old self is, so putting on the old self and putting on the new self is a reference to the conversion of the believer, the old self or the old man, as some of your translations might say, is what we were before Christ. The old man was uh, futile in his thinking, darkened in his understanding, separate from God, and lived a life according to that identity. And Paul says the old man is corrupted through deceitful desires, deceitful in contrast to the truth. The old man pursues desires that he thinks will fulfill him, but never will. Only the truth can fulfill him, and Christ is the truth. And what I've noticed from Paul is that he likes to make connection of our old self to the old man, essentially to, to Adam and the new man to Christ. And so Adam, in his fallen nature, we were once connected to him in this fallen nature, and now we are, through belief in the gospel, connected to Christ, to the new man. Um. So here, Paul reminds the Ephesians that they have put off that old self. They're no longer identified with that old man. It's no longer who they are. Well, who are they? Verses 23 and 24. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So at our conversion, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand the things of Christ, the truth of Jesus. And that renewing is something that the Holy Spirit has done for us and is doing through, for us throughout our lives, helping us to understand God's word and what it means to live like Christ Jesus, sanctifying us. 
And Paul reminds the Ephesians that when they put off the old man, they put on the new man. And the new man is a new creation in Christ. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a new identity. No longer the sinful man identified with a fallen Adam, but a new man, righteous and holy, identified with Jesus Christ. And we, we have a, now a righteousness and holiness given to us by Christ. It's not something that we've earned through our own efforts. So when we come before God, he sees us as righteous and holy because of what Christ did for us. All right, this is, He sees Christ in us. That's the substitutionary atonement. Christ took on our sin on the cross. He took the judgment of sin for us that we deserved. And through faith, he gave us, he clothed us with his righteousness and his holiness. That is our new identity. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are followers of Christ. We are Christians. And so I, th- I think the message for Paul, or for us today from Paul, is to go out and to live that identity in Christ. The new identity that we have, that is not the old man, but the new man. Um, I had a friend in college. Um, like I said, I went to a Christian college, but we also had, we had a battle of the bands there. Um, and it was actually really good. And he was, he was very charismatic, and he was a good singer and guitarist. So he didn't need a whole entire band. He just got up there by himself and uh, played his songs. And they were really good. And one song he got up there and sang was, was the song that he wrote called My Old Man. And it's this very passionate song about his struggle and his fight that he has with his old man. And I totally, at the time, thought he was talking about his dad. Um, and it was kind of awkward because his dad was in the audience. And so I was listening to him singing. I look at his dad. I was like, okay. Uh, you know. And that's what I thought the song was about. Fast forward to like five years later, I'm sitting in the car. It, was a, it stuck with me. It was a catchy song. And I was thinking about it. And then it struck me. I thought, you know what? I bet he wasn't talking about his dad. <laughs> Only took me about five years. You know, I'm not, I'm not too quick, but I eventually get it. He's talking about his struggle with his sin. We all struggle with our sin, with our old man, don't we? Just because we put off the old man when we came to trust in Jesus doesn't mean we uh, can't still fall back into those habits and behaviors of our old identity. But the good news is that's not who we are anymore. We have put on the new man in Christ. And so even though we struggle with our own man, with our old man, excuse me, with our sin, Since we are now in Christ, our sin no longer has the hold on us that it used to have. We can be free of it now, and it can't condemn us in the final day when we come before the judgment scene of God. We have a new identity based in the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And it is that identity that we need to cling to and seek to live accordingly. So my hope for each of you is that you would go this week and seek to live a life that is consistent with your new identity in Christ. It may be an easy way to do that, an easy way, but a helpful way is maybe just identify one part in your life where either you're not living like Christ or you need to actively be living like Christ and say, 
why don't I try living like that this next week? Try living out this identity that has been given to me in Christ. Okay, maybe it's uh, avoiding a particular sin. Maybe it's seeking to actively serve someone when you would uh, rather not. But this week, go out and try to live out a life that is consistent with your new identity in Christ, knowing the foundation that has been given to you in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that you are redeemed, that you have been blessed with spiritual blessings, that you do have the church as well to support you. So go out and live a life that is consistent with your new identity in Christ. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, that we are no longer uh, uh, enslaved and condemned in our sin. Lord, but we have a new identity. Lord, who we are, what defines us, are that we are the redeemed of the Lord, those who have been purchased through Christ's work on the cross. And we have been given new life through his resurrection, a new identity. We are no longer identified with the old man, but with the new man. And Lord, we're so thankful for that, for the hope that it gives us for eternity, but also for the hope that it gives us now, that we can live a life um, that is unified with, with that identity in Christ. Um, but of course, Lord, the, the old man is, is, uh, is still... Uh, a temptation. Our old sin is still a temptation, Lord. So please help us. Please guide us through your spirit as we seek to live a life uh, in accordance with the new identity that we have in Christ, not being uh, overwhelmed by our failure to do that because we will fail. But Lord, uh, help us to repent. Help us to seek to continue to, to be like Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.